Welcome to Parker Memorial's podcast of the 8.30 a.m. service. Our service includes modern style worship and an on-time message from God's Word by Dr. Mac Amos. Now, here's this week's message. What a powerful worship experience we've had this morning. Amen? Amen. If you have your Bibles, you can go ahead and be turning to the book of James. James chapter 1. James chapter 1, as we continue to journey through this aspect of practical Christianity. What does it mean to be a Christian? And what are the practical things that we are to do in our Christian life to help us to be blessed and to walk in a manner that pleases the Lord? So we'll be focusing today on receiving a word from God. How many of you would like to receive a word from God? Amen? How many of you need to receive a word from God? How many of you need it every day? I need a, a fresh word from God every day. And so James is going to give us some practical illustrations, practical truths to help us to know how we can receive a word from God. So as you turn there, getting ready, beginning in James chapter 1, we'll begin in verse 19. Practical Christianity, receiving a word from God. Listen to what James says here in James chapter 1, verse 19 and following. This you know, my beloved brethren, but let everyone be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. For the anger of man does not achieve the righteousness of God. Therefore, putting aside all filthiness and all that remains of wickedness, in humility receive the word implanted, which is able to save your souls. But prove yourselves doers of the word and not merely hearers who delude themselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, He's like a man who looks at his natural face in a mirror. For once he has looked at himself and gone away, he has immediately forgotten what kind of person he was. But one who looks intently at the perfect law, the law of liberty, and abides by it, not having become a forgetful hearer, but, hearer, but an effectual doer, you ought to underline this phrase, this man, this person will be blessed in what he does. How many of you want to be blessed in what you do? Amen. How many of you want the blessings of God in your life? Well, that's a promise in God's word. This man, this man shall be blessed in what he does. What person is that who is given a promise of God that they will be blessed in whatever they're doing? Who is that person? It's a person who receives a word from God. A person who readily receives a word from God. And now, whenever you get in your mind what it means to receive a word from God, I don't want you to think it's just hearing that word. Receiving a word from God is far greater than just hearing the word spoken or reading the word in the text. So what does it mean to receive a word from God? How do you receive that word from God? Therefore, that your life might be blessed. Well, the Lord Jesus is the best introduction to this passage because Jesus, on three on, in all three of the synoptic gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, it is recorded that Jesus gave a very well-known parable, probably one of the best-known parables that, that he ever gave. It was called the parable of the sower, or some people call it the parable of the soul. You remember that story, right? He talks about the seed is spread, and it's spread on four different types of soul. He says that the seed is the word of God. The word of God. And Jesus says that that seed is going to be spread on four different types of soil or four different types of hearts. Only one of those hearts is going to bring forth fruit. 
The other three do not. He described those vividly and explained what he meant in each of those passages. He said one of those is, represents a hard heart. A hard heart that will not receive the word from God. Another of those represents a shallow heart. It receives it, but it's very thin. It doesn't go deep into their heart. It doesn't make a difference in regard to their life. The third of those is a crowded heart. That crowded heart, remember it had all the thorns and thistles. You threw the seed among it. When the seed came up, it got choked out. It got choked out by by those thorns and thistles. It was crowded, the word of God was. And the final of those that actually brings forth fruit is a fruitful heart. A fruitful heart when that word, that seed, is placed in good soil and it brings forth that plant and that plant brings forth a hundredfold and a blessing. That's what God wants when he gives the word, his word to any person. He wants us all to have fruitful hearts. But he warns there are three types of hearts that cannot receive, really and truly receive, the word of God. Now, James picks up on that theme. He picks up on what Jesus said about receiving the word and and how some people can't receive the word. And he gives some practical illustrations and practical principles about how you can know that you receive the word from God. All right? Let's look at those principles. It's there beginning in verse 19. This you know, my beloved brethren. Here it is. But let everyone, number one, be quick to hear. If you're going to be receptive to God's word, if you're going to receive a word from God, you have got to be quick to hear. That means that your ear is very attentive to what God is going to say. That that means one thing that you believe that God is, amen, (laughs) that he's actually out there. Because he is out there, he's not only out there, he actually speaks. That God speaks to us. He speaks to us. He has something to say to us. And therefore, because he is and he speaks, we know it's very important that what he says. So our ear is very attentive to not only hear his words, but to hear his very breath. That whatever God might say, whatever God might, might do, that we would be quick to hear. We are not like those who are ADD or who have attention deficit or are running here and so on. They can't, not, can't hear anything. But rather, it's the fact that they would be very attentive and attention to what he says. Now, I know you mothers are very attentive to your children and what they say. I I hope you husbands are very attentive to your wives and vice versa, wives to husbands. But let me tell you something. The the person you need to be quickest to hear, the person you need to be most attentive to is God Almighty. Amen? Is God Almighty that you be quick? There's a great illustration of what it means to be quick to hear found in 2 Samuel. 2 Samuel chapter 23, verse 15 and following. Write that down. To be quick to hear, it tells the story of David. When David was running from Saul, there was a point in time when David said he was from Bethlehem, remember, the city of David. He made this request. He said, boy, what I would love to have is I would love to drink of the water of the well of Bethlehem. The only problem was Bethlehem was, was being held captive by the Philistines at that time. But when David made that request, he just said, Boy, how I would love to drink of the well of Bethlehem. Three of his mighty men heard what he said. You know what they did? They went by night, broke through the Philistines, got water out of that well, and brought that water to David. And gave that water to David and said, Here, you ask your request, your longing of your heart, 
was for you to have water from the well, and here it is. David was so amazed that they would be so quick to hear, so sensitive to what he desired, that he was unwilling to drink the water, but rather poured it out as a drink offering before God. He was humbled by that. And those three men are a good illustration of what it means to be quick to hear. Wouldn't it be great if we were just as sensitive to the voice of God as those three men were to the voice of the person they loved named David? To be quick to hear, to be attentive, to be ready to receive anything he says. If he breathes something to you, you would be quick to hear. That's number one. Number two, look at verse 19. Be quick to hear, too, but slow to speak. (laughs) All right, slow to speak. It's like one person said, we have one mouth and two ears. That means we ought to spend twice as much time listening as we do talking. Exactly right, okay? My dad, I shared this Wednesday night. My dad told me, he was a very wise man, He told me, he said, son, let me tell you something. Whenever you're in conversation, let whoever is smartest do most of the talking. Now, my dad was saying that to probably help me understand that you're not the smartest one. So you'd be a whole lot better if you'd just be quiet and listen to what somebody else say, and you'll learn a whole lot more, all right? Well, let me assure you one thing. I don't know what crowd you hang around and how smart the people are around you, but I'll assure you this. When it's in relationship with God, he's smarter than you are, Amen. There's no doubt about that. God is smarter than you. So hold on a second. That means that in your relationship with God and in your communication with God and and, and what's happening between you and God, you ought to spend more time listening to him than you do talking to him. Can I ask you a question? What's your prayer life like? Huh? What's your prayer life like? Lord, I love you and I... I'm here for you, and this is what I need, and this is what I'd like for you to do. And, boy, we'd want you to bless us here, and we'd want you to do there, and amen, and I've got to go. How much time in your prayer life? Okay, in your prayer life, whenever you're supposed to be in communication with God, how much time in your prayer life do you actually let God speak? You actually let God say something. You mean God would say something? Oh, yes, you might really be surprised. If you'll be quiet, he will speak. Be, be quick to hear, be slow to speak. Matter of fact, most of what God tells us, we don't really need an explanation. <laughs> we don't need to question it, and we certainly don't need to argue with him, amen? We just need to say, yes, Lord. Yes, Lord, whatever you tell me, yes, Lord. So, be quick to hear, be slow to speak. Look at verse 19. Let everyone be... Quick to hear, slow to speak. Hold on a second. And slow to anger. Slow to anger. For the anger of man does not achieve the righteousness of God. Here's the third thing. Do not resist his word. Do not resist his word. Well, why would I ever resist the word of God? Because, let me tell you... Whenever he speaks to you, it's not, always, it's not always going to be real pleasant. Sometimes when God speaks to you, you know what he's going to deal with? Hold on a second. He's going to deal with that sin in your heart. He's going to deal with that barrier between you and him, that barrier between you and somebody else. Whenever God speaks to you, he, 
what he shares with you is not always going to be pleasant. But don't resist that. Don't resist what God would say. Just say, yes, Lord. If he says, that is sin, say, yes, Lord. I agree with you that that's sin, and I, I confess that sin. I want you to make that right in my Do not, please do not resist what God is saying. Now, here's, here's a truth you need to understand. There, there are different types of anger, okay? There are different types. Some anger is called righteous indignation or righteous anger. What is righteous anger? Righteous anger is whenever we hate sin, Not the sinner, but we hate sin. Because we are children of God, we should hate sin as much as God hates sin. How much does God hate sin? It cost his son his life on the cross. That's how much he hates sin, how much he loves us. So we're supposed to be haters of sin. When things happen that are a result of sin, we hate that sin. Matter of fact, whenever last Sunday, whenever the tornado went through Beauregard and killed those 23 people, we should hate that sin. Oh, not the sin of those people. We hate the result of sin. Why is there a tornado anyway? Because of sin. God didn't plan that. It's because of sin that that happens. And we hate that. We hate that sin. We hate that somebody like Amy would die at 38 years of age because of sin. That is the result of sin. Not her sin. It's the result of sin. We hate those things that sin costs. And if you don't hate sin, you're not real close to God because God hates sin. All right? But he loves every sinner. Amen? But there's another type of of sin that's not righteous. It's a type of sin that's birthed within us and our own pride. it's, It's something that causes us to lose our temper. And what he says is that kind of sin does not achieve the righteousness of God. In other words, whenever God would come to us and he would say something to us about sin in our life, and instead of us hating the sin and wanting out of our life, we get angry. We get upset because God has pointed something out with me. God has pointed his finger towards sin. And I get angry about that situation. I get angry what he does. That's not right. That's not the righteousness of God. That's my own sin and my temper. I read something this week that I thought was pretty good if I can find it. It says, temper is such a valuable thing, it is a shame to lose it. Isn't that pretty good? Temper is such a valuable thing, it is a shame to lose it. You'll hear people say excuses for themselves. Well, I'm just temperamental. I heard one guy say, yeah, it's about 90% temper and 10% mental. Amen? (laughs) We cannot let that anger within us, that conviction within us, that thing that the Word might confront us, Cause us to resist the word of God. We cannot allow that to happen. And I'm telling you, it does. If you're not ready for it and and God comes and points something out in your life, if you're not ready to deal with it and let God forgive you of it and cleanse you of it, you will let that thing keep you from getting back in the word of God. You'll stay away from the Word of God. You won't get a word because you're going to stay away from it because you don't like what God told you. Let me tell you how to deal with it. Just say, God, I'm a wretched, stinking sinner. I'm sorry, but you saved me by grace, and Jesus died on the cross for me. And thank you, thank you for forgiving me. 
Thank you for forgiving me. And he takes away, casting the sin, see of forgetfulness to remember no more. Amen? All right, so we need to be swift to hear. We need to be slow to speak. We do not need to resist the word of God. The fourth thing is this. We need a prepared heart. A prepared heart. It's found there in verse number 21. It is, James really is describing it like a garden or like where you would go plant flowers or plant vegetables or something. This is what he says. Therefore, put it aside all filthiness and all that remains of wickedness. In humility, receive the word implanted, which is able to save your soul. Let me ask you a question. Yesterday was kind of a warm day. Did any of you get out and work in your yard a little bit because you hadn't been able to get out at all? Yeah. Most of us did. Now I'm going to ask you what your, your, fa- your uh, garden is like at your home or your flower bed. Whenever you went out there and looked at it yesterday, was, was it just perfect and all the plants came back up and it's just beautiful and wonderful? Is that the way yours was? If it was, I want to trade houses with you. I want to go to your house. That's not the way it was at mine. You know what it was? Weeds. Weeds and these ugly little flowers and everything that grows up. Whether it is a flower garden or whether it's a vegetable garden, here's the truth of the matter. If it is left unattended, the soul produces weeds. It produces that which is not desired, not needed, not wanted. Isn't that true? Well, that's exactly the same way with an unattended heart. See, our unattended heart, it doesn't produce because our hearts are exceedingly wicked. Our hearts do not produce righteousness and goodness and honoring things to God. An unattended, unprepared heart is full of weeds. What are spiritual weeds? Look there in verse 20. Therefore, putting aside all filthiness, that's a weed, amen, and all that remains of wickedness, that means everything that's not of God, that's of yourself, all of those things are weeds all of those things are undesirable all of those things are not what you want there in your heart or in your garden so what does he say you have to do here 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 are three suggestions that you have to do in order to have a successful garden in order to have a successful and prepared heart here's the first thing you got to take out all the junk you got to weed out all the undesirable Right? That's what he said right there. Therefore, putting aside all the filthiness and all that remains of wickedness. You got in there and you got to go and weed all that flowers, all them weeds out. Pull all that stuff that's not desirable out. You got to get that out so that it won't choke out that which you're going to put in there that you want. Amen? You got to take that out of your flowers or your vegetable garden so that you have room. How do you, what do you do? How do you do that in your heart? By confessing your sin. 1 John 1, 9. If we confess our sin, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sin and cleanse us of all unrighteousness. If we will simply say, God, that's a weed right there in my heart. God, that's not desirable in my heart. I want you to take that out, and I'm willing for you to weed out all the junk of my life. He'll take that wickedness and that filthiness out of your life and my life. And whenever he takes out all the junk... It leaves room for what is good. Amen? It leaves room for what is good. So the first preparation for your heart, just like a garden, is that you got to weed out that which is undesirable. What's the next thing? Well, the next thing it's, you have to have in order to have a garden, in order to do it, is you have to have a vision, don't you? You're going to have to have a vision. When you're out there working, you're out there sweating, you're out there putting, you got to have a vision of what? 
of what it's going to be, of what it's going to look like. I mean, if you like a vegetable garden, you're thinking, man, I tell you what, in a few months, I'm going to be eating fresh tomatoes and squash and okra. I'm going to have all the things. And because I'm going to do that, it gives me the energy to do what? Get out here and work. And you have to have a vision of what is going to happen to keep you at the task. Do you know what your vision has to be in regard to your heart? What is God going to do in you? What's God going to produce in your life? How are you going, how are you going to experience the love and grace, mercy, and kindness of God? How is he going to shower that into your life and on your life? How is that going to happen? And if you will get the vision and you'll get that in your heart and mind, it will give you the energy to do whatever needs to be done to have a heart that is prepared. Amen? It's, it's work, just like a garden's work. It's work. It's not necessarily easy, but it's needed. So you get all the junk out. You weed out all the sin. Confess that. You turn around and you have a vision of what you're expecting it to be. And here's the, the other thing. Look at there in verse 21. And in humility, receive the word implanted, which is able to save your soul. That doesn't just mean save your soul from sin to have a home in heaven. It means to save your soul from the power of sin that works in your life. But you can receive the word implanted. How? With great humility. How do you get, how do you get God's word in there? How does the seed of God's word so it bears fruit? How is that? In humility. What does it mean to do it in humility? Well, it means one thing is you realize you can't do it on your own. Amen? You cannot meet your own need. I can promise you, you cannot be righteous in your own efforts. I can tell you that. I've tried every way you can. It all comes out a mess. All right? So you can't do it. So humility, first of all, says, God, I realize I can't. I realize that I can't. All right? The second thing is you realize that he can, right? That he can. He's able to do all things. He's the master gardener. He's the one who knows your heart. He built your heart, and he can make your heart all needs. He knows everything. So I can't, he can, and humility says, please come and do it. I, I need your help. I need. Pride says, I'll do it on my own. Pride says, I'll just keep trying. But humility says, I can't do it. I realize you can. Now, would you please come and do that work in me? See, he's the one who comes and implants the word of God in your heart. It's not you. He's the one who implants the word of God in your heart. You say, you say well, it, it's got to be me. I'm the one who opened the Bible. I'm the one who hears the preacher preach. No. You're the one who opens the Bible, but it's God by his spirit who takes that word and implants it in your heart. There's a big difference when you're putting the word in your heart and he's putting the word in your heart. And humility says, Lord, I'm just dependent on you to do it. And you know what? He'll turn your life into a beautiful garden if you'll let him do all those things to prepare your heart. You have to have a prepared heart. Swift to hear, slow to speak. I'm not going to resist the word of God, but I'm going to prepare my heart to receive the word of God. And the final thing is this. It has to be a willingness to do the Word of God. Uh-oh. Did y'all hear that? Uh-oh. I, I've got to be what? I've got to be willing to do the Word of God. 
Write this down in your notes. It is not enough to hear the word of God. Do you hear that? It's not enough to hear it. We must do it. We must do the word of God. Notice what it says down there in verse 25. I had you to underline the very last phrase. If you are not a forgetful hearer, but an effectual doer, this man shall be what? Blessed in what he does. Who's blessed? The one who's a hearer of the word? A hearer of the word? Is that what it says? No. One who is a doer of the word. A doer of the word. Now, that, that means this, friend, that it's not enough just come hear a sermon. A sermon does not make you grow. I don't care who the preacher is. A sermon is not going to make you grow. You've got to be willing to receive the word of God that's through that preacher, that sermon, and you've got to be willing to do the word of God. I saw a little thing that said in regard to the word of God. It says, too many Christians mark their Bible, but their Bible never marks them. Too many Christians mark their Bible. That's a good thing. It's okay. But their Bible never marks them. And that's where the marking's supposed to happen, isn't it? It's the Word of God. So listen to what he says about this in verse 22 and following. But prove yourselves doers of the Word and not merely hearers who delude themselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the Word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks at his natural face in a mirror. He says that the Word of God is not only like a garden or the seed in a garden. It, it, the Word of God is also like a mirror. And he says there in verse 23, if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he's like a man who looks at his natural face in a mirror. For once he's looked at himself and gone away, he's immediately forgotten what kind of person he is. But the one who looks intently at the perfect law, the law of liberty, and abides by it, not becoming a uh, forgetful hearer but an affectionate doer, this man shall be blessed in what he does. So the word of God is a mirror. What does it mean the word of God is a mirror? Well, let's talk about a few things about a mirror. A mirror is used... For, God, for us to examine ourselves, isn't it? Whenever you go and you look in a mirror, you see yourself. Did you know without a mirror or without a reflection, you would forget what you look like? Now, for some of us, that would be a blessing. Amen? <laughs> for some of us, that would be a blessing. But if you did not have a reflection, if you did not have a mirror, you would forget what you look like. The reason you know who you are is because you look in a mirror. Isn't that true? Now, here's the way that we do mirrors. And it's the, if you are, are like many people, all you do in a mirror is you glance in a mirror. It's kind of like when you go by the mirror. Notice everybody looks in the mirror. Even guys. I know guys, you say you don't. Oh, yes, you do. You go by something's reflection in the mirror, and they'll be walking there, and they're looking at themselves, and, and they're glancing at it, all right? So we, we say, well, I'm still me. I'm still me, all right? So I know that. Many people glance in the mirror, but that's not what it really takes. Ladies, you know what it takes whenever you're getting already beautified. You cannot just glance there. You have to gaze in that mirror, don't you? You have to do close examination of what you have to do to put all the stuff on. I know. You have to do that. Well, the problem with many people with the Word of God is that they glance at the Word of God, but they never gaze into it. They never let the Word of God, they never let the Word of God penetrate their heart. They never spend time looking into the Word of God. 
And, and it takes a little time for the Word of God to penetrate and get into your heart and do your work. But many of us, all we do is we just glance at it. Second thing is, as soon as you leave that mirror, you immediately begin to forget what you look like. You do. You forget what you look like. Immediately when you do. You know why, how you know that? Have you ever done something like hit yourself, you're, you hit your eye, you've done something? What is the first thing you're going to go do? Look in the mirror to see how that affected my eye. How that affected my Am I swelled up here? Do I look this way? And, and we have to go back because we can't remember what we look like. And we just, become, we just forget. That's exactly what happens with the Word of God. If you just casually look at the Word of God, God might prick your heart, God might speak to you, but if you don't spend some time there, you'll immediately begin to forget. You'll immediately begin to forget what you're really like. You'll forget that. And therefore, you lose that conviction that something needs to happen. And God's trying to do something like that because you forget. So many of us just glance instead of gaze. And then we just look shortly. And then we begin to forget because we're not going to spend very much time there. Forget what we look like. And sometimes we don't want to look in the mirror because we don't like what we look like. Oh, I don't, I don't mean that everybody said, well, I wish I was this way or that way. I'm not talking about that. I'm just simply saying in the Word of God, sometimes the Word of God points out things that doesn't make us look really beautiful, does it? So what do you do? Well, we learned that earlier. Let God help you, amen? Let God do that work in your life. And whenever you approach that mirror, stay there long enough to discover something that most people do not discover. Please, if you, if you miss anything I say, do not miss what I'm about to say, all right? It has to do with that verse of Scripture there in verse 25. But one who looks intently at the perfect law, the law of liberty, and abides by it. What in the world does that mean? I mean, we know what it's like to look in a mirror, we glance at it, we forget about it, we back away from it. What does that mean? It means this, that if you will allow the Word of God to be the real mirror to your soul, that you'll be able to spend some time and look there, God will reveal everything He he wants to show about you. God will show you what all the needs of life and what He wants to do in your life. Hold on a second, listen to me. But if you will stay there long enough, listen if you will stay there long enough, you will, you will see something in the mirror that is bigger than you. You know what you'll see? It says if you'll just keep looking in that mirror, which is the Word of God, that behind you, you will see someone. And do you know who you will see? You'll see the Lord Jesus Christ, who is standing in the mirror with you. For see, he has the law of liberty. That that means the law of liberty, it's all about grace and mercy and kindness and forgiveness. And he's standing behind you in that mirror. He will not leave you because you're a child of God. He wants you to receive a word from God. And if you'll stay there long enough, you'll not just see you, you'll see him. And when you see him, you'll find out that he is able to do all things miraculous if necessary, he is able to do all things to make you beautiful. And his forgiveness and mercy and grace will always do that. But if you just glance in the mirror, you don't spend time there and you don't look closely, all you'll ever see is your need. All you'll ever see is stuff that I don't really want to focus on. 
instead of letting the Word of God reveal the one who's there to meet all need. For see, receiving a word from God is of utmost importance. Swift to hear, slow to speak. I will not resist his word, even though it's convicting to my heart. I'm going to allow him to prepare my heart because it's not ready, but he can get it ready. Taking out the junk and helping me see what it can be in him coming to do what only he can do. And I will let the word of God be a mirror to my soul. I'm not just going to glance to see who I am. I'm going to gaze in there to see what all is about and what God needs to do in my life. And I'm not going to go about forgetting who I am. I'm going to remember who I am. But I'm going to keep looking in that mirror because there's the law of liberty there that says that he stands right behind me to do everything that needs to be done to make me whole, to make me beautiful, and he will never leave me. And if you will receive that word that James gives to you in practical Christianity, he gives to you the promise. And this person, this person who truly receives the word of God, not just here, receives the word of God by doing it, they should be blessed in whatever they do. What a promise. You want to be blessed in what you do? Then you truly got to receive the word of God. Amen. That concludes this week's message from Brother Mac. Additional sermons and reference materials are available from our website at parkermemorial.com slash sermon series. Jesus said, I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble. I have overcome the world. We can help you know the one who can bring you peace. Find us on Facebook and Twitter at Parker Memorial Baptist Church, as well as our website at parkermemorial.com. May God bless you until we meet again.